0: about the role of consciousness and self-inquiry in making the leap from being an expert to being a thought leader. Bryna Haynes, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast.
1: I'm so excited to be here with you, John. Thanks for the invitation.
0: Thank you for joining me and taking time out of your busy schedule. It is a pleasure to be with you. Where are you joining us from today?
1: I am just outside of Providence, Rhode Island.
0: Wonderful. I've never been to Rhode Island, but it's always been a place I've wanted to travel to. I'm south of Salt Lake City in Utah. It's a pleasure to connect. And today we're going to be talking about something I know that's near and dear to your heart, and that is the role of consciousness and self-inquiry in making that leap from being an expert to being a thought leader. Now, maybe in the minds of listeners, you're thinking, isn't that the same thing? You're an expert, you're a thought leader, Uh, but... I think you'll explain why that's not the case and why we why that will actually be a good leap and a good transition for many in their careers as they're leading their teams and helping organizations be more successful. As we get started, I wanted to share Bryna's bio with everybody. Bryna Haynes is the founder and CEO of World Changers Media. As a nationally known book strategist, speaker, ghostwriter, and editor, she has helped hundreds of thought leaders, teachers, healers, and enlightened entrepreneurs deliver their messages and radically up-level their expert status through best-selling, impact-driven books. You can learn more about Bryna at www.worldchangers.media. And again, a pleasure to be with you. Anything else you would like to share just by way of your background, personal context before we dive on in further?
1: Um, Just that the leadership journey for me has been very convoluted and non-traditional. And I'm really excited to have this discussion with you in service to emerging leaders everywhere
0: excellent excellent why don't we start with how i was starting you know the beginning of the framing for the conversation around consciousness and self-inquiry what is that all about like how, how do you define those why are those so important and then we can start to, to make the connection between those and moving from that expert space to that thought leadership space
1: Absolutely. So I grew up very steeped in this idea of like know thyself right, as the solution to all problems. Um, It is and it isn't, but it is a really good place to start when we're looking to become more than we are being at the moment. And we can only get so far with an outward facing outlook and an outward facing journey. And so to me, you know, consciousness can be defined in many ways, but to me, it's the ability to know and observe ourselves while not necessarily, um, how do I wanna frame this? This is such an interesting question because I've never actually been asked to define consciousness before. The ability to observe ourselves as the as the divine part of ourselves, as the eternal part of ourselves, and observe the humanness of ourselves with love and compassion and also detachment. When we become more conscious, we become aware of that divide, that just because I think it doesn't make it true. That just because I feel this way doesn't mean that that's the only truth that I can be dealing with. And to me, this self-observation as a practice, is absolutely essential for all of us to undertake if we want to really be the change that we want to see in the world.
0: I love that. I, I think there's a lot of different ways we could probably talk about um, consciousness and and to talk about self-inquiry, um, but I think that was beautifully put. And ultimately, if we can tune in to who we are and, and what makes us tick, why we are the way we are, why we do what we do, how we interact with other people, why it is that way, all that self-inquiry, self-reflection, I think, has tons of benefits and pays a lot of dividends in life, just generally speaking. Um, so now let's talk about that connection piece. You know, people strive for expertise. We go to school for it. We, we work hard in our careers to develop it. Um, but it's not necessarily being the same. It's not necessarily the same thing, being an expert versus being a leader or being a thought leader. Uh, So let's let's parse those out and then we can talk about how consciousness and self-inquiry can help us make that transition.
1: Absolutely. Well, as a parallel, it's my belief that expertise is truly an outward facing journey. And that when we look to become an expert in something, we are taking a long, narrow, and deep dive into a particular field. It's the difference between the open ocean and the Mariana Trench, right? And it is, again, still outward facing in that when we are seeking to become experts, we are seeking to become experts, not just for our own fulfillment, but probably for the recognition, the accolades, and the sense of trust that other people can then uh, share with us because we are an expert. There's a level of inherent trust in doing business with someone who knows what they're talking about and has proof that they know what they're talking about. However, to me, there's a a huge difference between someone who is an expert, meaning that they have the proof quote unquote of their knowledge and someone is who who a thought leader who is putting a new lens on the knowledge to uplevel our relationship with the subject. And so, again, when we step from expertise, you know, proving that we know the stuff, which is important, we have to get there before we can go beyond that. But when we're ready to step into thought leadership, to me what happens is we start looking at the sum total of who we are and not simply the sum total of what we know. And when we bring in our self-inquiry, our observation, our understanding of who we are, and most importantly, the totality of our experience as individual humans, we craft a lens through which to view our expertise that is irreplicable and that can radically change other people's relationship with the material that we are teaching or leading or producing.
0: Yeah, thank you. And I think about that a, quite a bit, actually, because it's something I strive for, you know, being a thought leader in, in a variety of spaces. Um, and I certainly worked hard in my career to develop that expertise and to have the credentials to have the proof of that expertise. Um, you know, I'm, I consider myself a scholar or practitioner. So I am an academic. I have a PhD. I have other certifications. You know, I have these things. In part to show that yes, I have the expertise. I'm qualified to be a professor. I'm qualified to do you know X, Y, Z, all these different things, right? But that doesn't necessarily actually translate over into how impactful the work that I'm doing is in the world around me. Uh, you know, hopefully, as a teacher, I'm impactful. Hopefully, I'm, I'm making a difference in the in the lives of the, my students. But in the consulting space in the practitioner space, the fact that I publish, you know, that I have a PhD. Or that I publish, you know, X Y Z, you know, article, or I have this number of peer-reviewed academic articles. That doesn't necessarily really mean anything in the world of work. Uh, and if I'm trying to talk to a, a leader, and you know, maybe that will resonate with them, but more often than not. I don't think they're going to care uh, unless I find a way to translate that expertise into something that's usable and impactful for them that can actually make a difference. So, it's part of the reason why I do things like this podcast, why in recent years I've really tried to pivot a lot of my writing. You know, I still do a good amount of academic peer reviewed research and, and all that sort of stuff in, in my writing, but I've tried to transition a lot of my writing into more practitioner oriented thought leadership writing that's more consumable, digestible, uh, and it can be picked up and read by anyone, and they don't have to go through the long, hard slog of, you know, trying to wade through all this dense academic, you know, writing. And it's been been really fun to 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 do that. And I've seen definitely that my work has more impact. I can spend, you know, a thousand hours on some big academic study and feel really good about it and get it published and everything but who's it actually helping? Who's it actually impacting? That's the question. And and what what I've come to more and more as I've gone throughout my career is that unfortunately, even the best academic studies tend to not have a very big reach. Uh, There are exceptions to that, but the vast majority just don't have a very big reach. And so, but, but the ideas are important the findings are important, and they they have the potential of being impactful if we can just find a way of framing it up for people that it can be helpful. So that's what I'm hearing you say as you're talking about um, that transition, that leap from being an expert to a thought leader. I'm not saying that I've figured it out or that I'm perfect at it, but I have made a concerted effort in recent years to try to do it better, and, I, and I've seen that my impact and my reach has improved.
1: Well, I think you really hit on something important, is that knowledge is useless until we make it useful and so information in and of itself is not how people learn and it's not useful inherently the only way to make information and by extension expertise useful is to make it actionable by the group of people who you desire to impact and I think you're seeing the results of that in what you described in your own journey and i feel like that's a huge part of the work that i do as well is like ideas in and of themselves are exciting and they're magnetic but unless they can be applied to actual transformation in real time for real people they're simply existing and you know it's it's i think a huge shift that needs to occur occur particularly in academia, because there's so much value placed on raw knowledge. And, you know, there's there's this absolute need. And I see this particularly I've worked with uh, with several doctors um, and professors in the medical field. And I see this particularly in the medical field where there is this vast amount of knowledge being accumulated and no bridge to make that knowledge actionable for people who aren't steeped in it on a daily basis or who just want to use pieces of it to improve their lives. And so, yes, definitely when we talk about a transition from expertise, which feels like the accumulation of knowledge to thought leadership, which is the dissemination of knowledge in an actionable, personal and magnetic way. We definitely need to talk about making information useful, but there's another piece to this, and that is the human piece. We learn through story. And when we can marry knowledge with story, we have the best chance of creating a lasting impact for someone and also an actionable pathway. There is a huge reluctance among leadership, academics, professional people, experts to share the truth of who they are as humans as part of their work, because they feel that it's detrimental to their expertise and the perception of them as experts. And so this to me is really where the consciousness piece comes in and the ability to work with self-inquiry and to make meaning out of our stories and experiences that can then be translated and applied to the impact we want to make. And that is a bigger process for some than for others, particularly for people who have had really traumatic experiences or, you know, have had a lot of hardship in their lives. And I think what's really important to remember is that we all have various experiences of what we call reality. We have the reality that we make, Through our perceptions and then we're randomly bumping up against other people's realities over which we have little to no control, however, what is 100% within our control and within our personal jurisdiction is our ability to decide what it all means for us. And so, when we make the leap from expert to thought leader what we need to look at is all of the expertise that we've accumulated and all of the information that we are sharing in our own particular way, whatever the pathway is. How has our personal lens and our personal experiences impacted our relationship to that information? A really simple example is, is one that I like to share for my own path. So um, I'm sort of the opposite of an academic. I, uh, I was accepted to, to several colleges um, for music and you know for various pieces, and I decided not to go um, because I know myself and taking on a full course load plus 40 hours of working per week, I would burn out and I would hate my life. So I decided instead to choose a different path.
0: We look forward to having you join us.
1: When I stepped into the book and writing world, I had a lot of insecurity because the first question, when I first started as a, as a freelance writer and editor, the first question I'd get asked, of course, was like, oh, where's your master's degree from? I'm like, oh, I don't have a master's degree. And then, be, oh, okay, well, where's your, where's your English degree from? I'm like, well, I don't have an English degree. I am self-taught. <laughs> and, um, and it was really hard for me to stand in that truth and know that my expertise was present because of my experience and because I knew how to learn. i had been home educated for most of my life. I knew how to learn. I knew how to find the information that I needed, um, but I didn't have this external validation of like, oh, she's an expert. And what I found is that a couple of projects in, nobody was asking those questions anymore. My work would speak for itself. But for a long time, I hid the fact that not only did I not have a master's degree or a degree, But that in my free time, even though I was working predominantly on transformational nonfiction, all I read was epic fantasy. You know, when I'm done with my day, I want to escape into a world that has dragons, because no world can suck if it has dragons. And it was something that I was, it was a part of me that I was ashamed of. I never shared with anybody that I was a musician that I was accepted to a conservatory for oboe, that I performed in orchestras, that I made a living playing my guitar on, you know, in coffee shops in Atlanta for a while. It felt so irrelevant to my expertise that I never brought it up. And people would find out these things about me and be like, how did I not know that? And it felt to them and to to people who became very close to me in my professional world, it almost felt to them like a betrayal that they thought they knew me so well, and yet there were all these parts of myself that I was hiding. And when I started looking at that in an introspective way, attempting detachment, as we all do, it's only ever an attempt. um, (laughs) what What I started realizing is that all of the experiences that I've had and all of the things that I've learned and all of the things that I love and that make me me are actually directly relevant to my expertise and that my human journey has as much impact on my leadership as my expert journey, which now, you know, I have all the things under my belt. After 15 years and many, you know, globally recognized projects, like, yeah, I've got all the things, but that's not why people work with me and it's not why people work with world changers. And I think that there's a fundamental misunderstanding that happens in the professional world in any expression that the value that we bring is entirely centered on what we know, and not on who we are. And so when you are stepping into thought leadership, the most powerful thing you can do is be you, be all of you, be the weird parts of you, be the unseen parts of you. I actually developed an outlining formula called the Bilbo Baggins method of book outlining, because It all applies when we look at the cross section of our lives and the overlap that, you know, everything that we've been every version of ourselves that we've been, we learned something that now forms our current lens of expertise. And so when we stop trying to hide that and present a front or an image that agrees with our definition of expert, then we can become thought leaders, because now we can innovate. Now we can do something and put a lens on our material that no one else has done before because no one else is us and no one has lived our lives. And so, you know, whatever your passions are, whatever the things that light you up outside the world of your work are, bring those to the table because chances are there's a lesson in there and an innovation in your expertise that can change everything.
0: I love all of that so much that you just shared there. Um, Let me try to zoom in on a couple things that resonated with me. I mean, so so much that you said was just so wonderful. Um, Number one, experts, we've already established expertise is not the same thing as thought leadership. And I think you just demonstrated why you don't have to have like all the credentials in the world to be a thought leader, right? So the fact that, I have a PhD, you know, gives me expertise, but it doesn't necessarily mean anything for me as a thought leader. And the fact is I don't have to have a PhD to be a thought leader. So you can leverage your lived experience, your lived expertise towards thought leadership. And that is just as valuable as anything else. Now, you know, if you're a nuclear engineer and you want to be a thought leader in the space, or you're a medical doctor and you want to be a thought leader in the space, do you have to have Technical expertise, sure, you do. And that probably means you're going to have degrees. But there's a lot of types of expertise that translates over into thought leadership that you can still have the skills, the technical expertise, and it's readily accessible to anyone who just wants to put in the work to gain it. And it doesn't necessarily mean you need any specific credential, any specific education. You can be self-taught, self-learned. Some of the greatest innovators in the world are self-taught, self-learned individuals and, and so just acknowledging that I think it's super, super important. And if, if you'll indulge me for a minute, just as a quick example, in my own life, as I've tried to transition into more thought leadership, you know, I've, I've written in the past, you know, lots of academic articles, academic books, I've started to, to pivot towards more practitioner oriented books. And in so doing, I still cite research and I try to unpack it in, in digestible ways um, that are, are it's, it's accessible and and easily readable to, to anybody. Um, So I I try to have everything I'm doing grounded in research still, but I open in, in say my most recent book, every chapter I open with a personal vignette of my own personal lived experience in relation to the principle that I'm going to unpack in the chapter. And you know what, the feedback I get from readers they, they often will say, I appreciate it's grounded in research, but they almost always point to these personal vignettes where I had lived actual experience, you know, with that principle. And I am able to, to spell it out for them in a way that resonates. And they're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. I've experienced that too. And so that personal component is so essential that I can translate over, you know, some abstract academic idea or principle. And now I can share it in a real world example that happens to be one, you know, directly from my personal life. And it it connects me with my reader, it connects them with themselves, they can practice self reflection now and think about the times they've experienced similar things. And I don't know if that makes sense. Like I just think recognizing the importance of all aspects of expertise and translating it over into thought leadership is really important and it doesn't necessarily mean we have to have credentials
1: well you'll note the uh direct correlation between the word expert and the word experience right and expertise is a direct outgrowth of experience sometimes that experience is in a more formal setting sometimes it's in an academic setting sometimes it's in a work setting sometimes it's in a combat setting Right For so so many of our um, our troops and and people who have served this country, and expertise in an area cannot be gained without experience, because there's a difference between knowledge accumulated and knowledge applied. And I think to speak into what you're saying sharing our personal experiences. And this doesn't have to be done in a written format. You know, as leaders, we can do this with our teams. We can do this with our colleagues. You know, open the meeting with a story that has an emotional component that will enroll people into the idea at play. So, you know, we learn through story. We learn through story because story evokes emotion and emotion is, has a much greater tie to memory And the longevity of memory than anything else in our human experience you've heard that quote you know you won't remember what someone said you won't remember what someone did but you'll always remember how they made you feel. And if you look at even how we communicate do's and don'ts right don't step on a rattlesnake right is much different than. I once stepped on a rattlesnake and it bit my ankle and I spent the next two weeks in the hospital and I felt like I had fire in my veins and then my skin started to peel off my leg and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you're like, now you have an emotional enrollment, like, oh my God, what happens? (laughs) And you will remember that feeling anytime you see a picture of a rattlesnake, let alone get close to one in the wild. And this is how our ancestors transmitted information for millennia. And there's a reason that those stories, that those narratives were able to be passed down like that and why they were so imprinted on individual and cultural memory. And it's because they were stories. It's because they were emotional and informational all at the same time. And so we can leverage this in our daily interactions when we share a vulnerable moment we encourage people to be vulnerable with us when we share an emotional triumph people root for us when we share our emotional connection to our company's mission to the work that we're doing in the world we enroll people into that mission not because it's good not because the information or the research supports the need for this but because they have an emotional stake in it and I think that that component of thought leadership cannot be understated. And the people who do this well are revolutionizing their fields. Perfect example is Brene Brown. How many psychology researchers exist in the world? Thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands. There's only one Brene Brown. And it's not because she's the best researcher out there, although she is brilliant. It's because of who she is as a person and how she filters her information through the lens of her personal experience to make it consumable by anyone, regardless of where they are and where they come from. So this is a big, scary undertaking (laughs) for most of us to think about, oh my gosh, what would it even look like to be all of me in my work, in my relationships? For in front of my team. We all have, we think they're secrets. Most of the time, the things that we think are secret are not really so secret. And there's a level, again, of introspection and ownership of our personal state that can make this transition a lot easier when we learn to be responsive rather than reactive. We do... Fewer things to be embarrassed about. (laughs) When we we learn to control our inner state, we don't have outbursts in the way that we used to. And I'm speaking also here from personal experience. When we learn that we can have sovereignty over our thoughts and our repetitive internal patterns, we learn that we are not, um, we're not bound to who we're being in this moment. We can choose who we're being. And so if there are parts of ourselves that we don't like, that we don't wanna show, we have the ability to cultivate a different relationship with those parts of ourselves and decide how to actually lean into those to create the impact that we desire. And a lot of times that takes professional help, it takes professional therapy. For some, it might also take other modalities of healing. But it is the journey, because once you've gone as far as you can in the external world, you've gotten all the accolades, you've achieved the highest success that you can as an expert. The next stage of the journey is internal.
0: I love it. I love it, Bryna. Thank you so much for all the insights you've provided me and my listeners today. I know at the time I need to let you run, but before we wrap up for today, I just wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can connect with you, find out more about your work, and then give us a final word on the topic for today.
1: Thank you. So, you can if you're interested in learning more about my work and my company, you can go to worldchangers.media. That is our publishing house website and I don't do freebie downloads or, you know, random PDFs, I love connecting with people. So if you are interested in having a conversation about books or thought leaderships, or whatever, uh, there's a link right on the homepage to book a call with me, and I'd love to connect. Um, Yeah, final word. The most radical act that we can perform as intellectual as smart people, as intellectuals, as leaders, as groundbreakers, as innovators, the most radical act that we can perform is to know ourselves. Because when we can shape ourselves, we can reshape reality.
0: Well said, well said. We'll leave it there. Bryna, it's been a pleasure. I encourage listeners to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Bryna can do for you. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week.